Does your ass smell? Do you want to feel fresh and clean all day long? Of course you do. That's why you need soap. Soap is specifically formulated to gently clean, leaving you feeling refreshed and confident. Washing your ass with soap provides more than just a clean feeling and helps to maintain good hygiene and can even reduce the risk of skin irritation and infection. Soap, the simple solution for a clean and refreshed ass. Try it today and feel the difference. Soap, available wherever they sell soap. Holy shit! You'll never guess where I just was, Will. Where were you, Kevin? I was at last week's episode. Whoa! whoa. Hang on a second. I think I met you. Oh, wow. So it's you. Yeah, it is me. Fucking hell. I wouldn't believe it. Are you okay? How did you get back there as well? I want to know. I got shot in the arse. <laughs> By Podbot. I did, yeah. I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favorite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host Will, a writer of three films plus a Christmas special, and I'm joined once again by my co-host and writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV, Kevin. Kevin Lehan, how are you? He's gone to sleep. Kevin, wake up! (laughs) I was just trying to scare you that there was a delay. (laughs) God damn it, Kevin! Oh God, we're back, Kevin. We're back to tackle the topic of we've never left. We're just stuck there the whole time. That's my problem. That is my problem. We're back. We're back and we're doing the episode that we planned to do last week. So this yeah. means that we've done twice as much research and this is going to be an amazing episode. Mm-hmm. Our best yet. We were ready to we were ready to fire this gun last week and at the last minute it was pulled away from us. So either we have done twice as much uh, uh, research or all the research no. we did last week has just dissipated and now has <laughs> just all those... Popping uh, electrons have just you know, shot out my ear, and uh, you just said well to me an hour ago, uh, you you made your pick, and I realized, oh shit, I better pick something. <laughs> so uh, that's where my head is at. So this week's topic is best one night in the big city, right? And like we've been doing in a couple episodes recently. We thought it might be... We knew there was someone out there who could help us. And uh, we pulled in another very special guest co-host. And our very special guest co-host is uh, a writer, but also a director of four feature films, including Level Up from 2016, Oi Boy from 2017, I See You in 2019. And this week's topic plays right into his most recent feature, which is uh, just out on Netflix Night Teeth, and that director is it's out tonight. Tonight, oh my god, get to, to, your teeth yeah, into it. Adam, today, did, today, that, I think we need to name you Adam Randall. Thank you for joining us, so great thank to have you. Thank you for inviting me, thank you very also, much. Also, I just want to say one thing to correct the record Adam's not a writer, I wouldn't be friends I've, with him if he was a writer. I've, I've written Kevin, I've written some yeah. beautiful work, some poetry. You're, you're a writer. <laughs> All right, we'll give it to you. You write lovely text messages. 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Adam, I've seen Night Teeth and it is class. It is so slick and it is so stylish and it is, it's a, well, can you give us a, a very brief synopsis of what Night Teeth actually is? Sure. So Night Teeth is uh, set in LA and it's about uh, a young guy, college student who lives in Boyle Heights, which is in East LA. And one night he persuades his brother to let him drive his limo for the night and pick up two girls from Beverly Hills and take them across LA to uh, a number of different parties over the night. And it very quickly transpires that you probably guess from the title that things go wrong in a supernatural way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's very much a kind of one crazy night seen through the eyes of this, of this young guy. That'll do, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that not good enough, Kevin? Oh, that's very good. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll sell it for you. It's a, okay. it's a sexy, exciting, uh, cool... Imagine if I said that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that would be a bit uh, uh, a bit ick. Uh, no, it's a, it's a really cracking film. I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, as soon as this topic came up, I was like, uh, oh, yeah, perfect. Let's get Adam on. And, um, yeah, I wanted to know, you know, because we were doing this episode... Were there any sort of films that inspired you to uh, with it? Were there any films that you looked to and thought, oh, "I'd love to, I'd love to match that tone," or "I'd love to stay away from those tropes"? There was like a, a lot of different films, elements of different films that came together. Um, you know, the first film that came into my head when I read it was Go. Do you remember Go from the nineties, yeah. Doug Liman film? So, what are you up to tonight? We're going to this party tonight, this warehouse thing. Some sort of rave thing. Is this going to be cool? Yeah, I guess. Does the British guy still work here? That was uh, that kind of energy and mayhem. And that's also, you know, I, I don't know if it's one night in LA or over a weekend in LA, but... They go similar. to Vegas at some point. There's a Vegas story, yeah. Yeah. Um... So, so there was that. There was, you know, I'm just, I don't think it's a twist to say that there's vampires in this film. I think it's probably. Uh, <gasps> what the f- Oh, no, what? I've ruined it. I've ruined it. You know, it was a twist. It was, it was supposed to be a reveal, but we realized very early on not to do that. So it's in the trailer and the poster and the. So the wait, first is it called Night Teeth? I thought it was Nighty. <laughs> if only, if only I fought for that. Um, so I looked at, you know, Lost Boys and Near Dark and those. I mean, I guess Lost Boys is perhaps the thing it's closest to in terms of it yeah. being very youthful and very fun uh, and a little bit silly. That's exactly the vibe I was getting from it. Lost Boys. That was just for it was echoing. And I haven't seen Lost Boys in a long time. But there is a fun, creepy energy uh, that you capture. And uh, and it's definitely there. You needed more sax, man. <laughs> Sex or sax? Sax, man. Sax, man. <laughs> sax, man. Like- Playing the saxophone and yeah, 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 he's great. Yeah, yeah. I actually talked about if we could get him to cameo, but that didn't work out. Um, he's probably and, in prison. And then you know, I mean, we'll talk about these films, I'm sure, later on. But there was, you yeah. know, Warriors was a big thing. After Hours, I asked everyone who was working on the film to watch. Uh, you know, there's different elements. Obviously, it's not quite like that, but there's things about being sort of trapped in the city over the one night. Yeah. There's a ton of movies that sort of fit into this category. Like when it came up, I thought, uh, well, I can think of a handful. And then when I was like, because I, I thought I was doing this episode last week, I was making my list of like um, movies that have taken place in different cities. And there's dozens of them. Yeah. 
In fact, the probably the key one that was pitched to me before I read the script, someone said, this film is collateral with vampires. Uh, and you think, yeah, uh, different tonally, but in terms of the structure of it, it, it wow. is, you know, similar. Huh. When I started to look at the night teeth included uh, at a lot of these films that are set in one night in the big city, there's a, there was a, a kind of a commonality, even when you cross genres, there's a commonality in it's kind of like story makeup in that there's a very Grecian uh, kind of archetype at play here where you have characters who feel like they're being taken into the underworld, who are kind of out of their depth and don't have control of the story and are being guided by more powerful godlike beings or being swept down uh, mysterious avenues into mysterious places, sometimes dangerous, just be, or eerie or mysterious or just uh, unexpected. And they all have that sense of characters kind of out of control. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of like After Hours is going to be one I'm going to talk about later on. But do you know, that's a kind of like quintessential one where we've got um, it's uh, Griffin Dunn, I think, is the, the Scorsese's film from 85. Yeah. And he just is just like ping ponged around, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Tribeca area of New York for a whole night. Like it's mad. They're sort of like road trip movies if the road was just the road to hell. Yeah. yeah. It's got that picaresque structure and you're just bumping up against strangers because like uh you're usually lost or you're 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 trying to get home. And um yeah, I, I saw the comparison there. And they're 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 on the whole, whether they're comedies or thrillers, uh unbelievably intense and stressful viewing experiences. Frustrating. Yeah, I even I watched recently the Out of Towners. Is that a beautiful city or is that a beautiful city? Oh, that's a beautiful city. George, they can't find the bag. They lost our luggage. Flight 543. Jack Lemon and Sandy Dennis are the out-of-towners in Neil Simon's outrageous comedy about New York City. Oh, you know, which is a... Straight-up comedy, very silly. But again, it's got this... I was watching it and I was thinking about Uncut Gems and the similarities in terms of just how busy every frame is and how there's just constant noise. There's always people in the way of our protagonists trying to just get through a train, get through the streets. Everything. I was watching it with my wife and she said, "What's the? where's the fun in this experience? You know, how am I supposed to feel? It's so stressful. I'm with her. I wanted to strangle uh, Jack Lemmon in that film. He was just... Films are fun and all that, but oh my god, he was so irritating. He just would not stop rabbiting on and complaining. And I just thought, you know, fuck yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably one of the, the earliest versions of this genre. It probably, you know, when they were doing After Hours and, and the films of the 80s, where a lot of these sort of uh, films were made, I bet they were referencing the Outer Toners in their yeah. lookbooks if they were doing them back then. There's something about the depiction of the city as well in the eight. Like when I grew up, you know, I grew up in London, uh, and the idea of, especially New York, fucking hell, <laughs> grew up in London, uh, the idea of uh, New York and Chicago and a little bit LA, you know, they were so kind of exciting and terrifying the way they were depicted, even in like fun movies, even in like Ninja Turtles, or I, I know the original Batman is um, is Gotham, but it very much feels like New York, and I remember. Being, I, you thought you were Batman I, going into the city, did you? I remember going to New York for, for the first time when I was like eight on holiday and being 
mildly terrified that my parents were just going to get stabbed in a random alleyway, you know, because that was <laughs> yeah. the impression that I'd yeah. got that there was just danger everywhere. It was yeah. out of control. And it was really exciting. And to even Big Trouble in Little China is another one where just, you know, I still go to Chinatown and feel like oh, yeah. behind the door, there's just something, you know, some other world back yeah. there, you know. There's a big nine foot baboon <laughs> yeah. wolf. I had an experience and uh, it was, I basically had an after hours experience in New York one night. And it was one of, yeah, oh, here we go. One of, it was which, um, actually a listener of the show, Declan Daly. Declan, if you're listening, how are you doing? Um, Declan Daly, uh, he's from New Jersey, but uh, he took myself and my wife out um, one night in New York where we literally were bounced around the city. We had no, we were just thrown into cabs. We were in a cab, a cab then we we're in a car. We we're in these, like, you know, uh, speakeasies and like, you know, hidden clubs and all that sort of stuff. And, but the only thing about it is we didn't, we definitely felt out of control, but we didn't have the experience that Griffin Dunn had in afterwards where he was just completely out of control and he just wanted to get home and uh, the community were just turning on him and everywhere we went, things just got worse and worse and worse. But I remember having that experience where once you go deeper into the night, you know, once you go deeper into the night, the kind of the the control or the rules of, of the of the daytime seem completely uh, detached from the world that you were. You, you feel like you're in a different world, even though it's the same yeah. streets and it's the same, you know, uh, you know, locations and whatnot. But just the shadow of night and the dead of night has it feels like you're. Yeah, you've you've detached from reality, and uh, and I love that. That's a kind of like a, a through line through all these films. I love that. I really do love it. Yeah. Have any of you seen a film called Victoria? I haven't. Yes. I just watched that just recently, and it is um. It should have come up, actually, Will, in our single take episode because the whole movie takes place. It's one continuous shot, no uh, edits. And um, it follows this Spanish girl who's leaving a club and she bumps into four guys who are trying to... who are denied access to the club and she starts, you know, striking up a conversation with them, starts flirting with one of the guys and the four of them uh, turn out to be criminals waiting orders to uh, carry out... Uh, some, well, I suppose it wouldn't be a spoiler to say that to, to carry out a bank heist, and uh, she gets roped up in it. But it's a, it's an excellent film. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's incredible. I thought what was really interesting about it was the first forty minutes or something. You're just hanging out, and it really captures that feeling, which I don't have anymore because I'm too old now. That I used to have of just being drunk in the city and anything can kind of happen, you know, yeah. where, you know, that sort of youthful, uh, you're out, it's after a club, it's four in the morning, you know, it's that weird limbo when it's really quiet and it's just, you're, you're sort of moments away from something going horribly wrong, which, yeah. you know, but there's also this absolute freedom and they're just hanging out and it's such a pleasure to hang out and you don't actually know where the story's going to go for a long time. You're just no. hanging out with them and then suddenly it turns about, I don't know, 40 minutes in or something and then it's just incredibly The logistics tense. of trying to pull that off, yeah, I don't know how they how they managed to make I that work. And it was actually one take. You know, a lot of these things aren't, you wow. know, they, they pretend to be, but this was actually one. They did it three times That's and it. the third time is what they use. They shot it traditionally as well as sort of a backup. So, um... I guess they managed to pull it off, obviously, because it's in the film. But uh, yeah, they shot it traditionally and they rehearsed for weeks. But there's a moment in it, which I didn't notice, but I suppose people that have looked into it um, pointed out, where they, um, the she goes down the wrong street and they just roll with it and they just keep, you know, 
staying in character and making it work for the the scene. But I was like thinking, well, how does that work with all the extras and the timings and, and yeah. Um, but yeah, it seems to have been. It seems to have been the film that a lot of people had seen, but I only just caught it this week and I thought it was fantastic. So that's definitely one to to watch for single take and for one night in the big city because it's set in Berlin. Gotta see it. I have to see that bloody film. There's <laughs> yeah, and I love what you were describing there. That moment, you're um, uh, Adam about you know these adventures. That's I'm the same as you. Classically, these moments have happened with a lot when after consuming a lot of alcohol. But I also love the encounters you have with people who you just meet in those wee hours as well. And, you yeah. know, you, you're you meeting them in that space and they're meeting you in that space. And they feel like they come from another world as well because they're more than likely drunk like you too. So they you, you've no other context except for this person in this state at night. And sometimes you have the most amazing encounters with people at night, not just getting mugged. And I think you see that <laughs> littered in these films. Yeah, I remember being out with another with Dan Martin actually, who guested on this podcast uh, in season one, and another one of our listeners, uh, Jonas Govarts. And um, I was in a bit of a blackout, and I didn't realise until I couldn't remember leaving the bar and then ending up back at Jonas's house. Um, but there was a gang of us heading back, and we bumped into what turned out to be a homeless guy at the bus stop, and for some reason he hugged me, but it was like a really aggressive hard hug where I just felt all my ribs just crack and I thought what the fuck this is I'm too old for this shit but that was uh, one of my after hours encounters can I steer you into because I want to get it out the way (laughs) I want to get it out the way because I know I want to get there before anyone brings it up right can I talk about my pick right now and I'm going to get it you you can do whatever you want you're running the show well I'm just going to do it because I feel if I don't talk about it no I won't get it out and um you're talking about meeting people we're talking about these late night encounters and my pick for this topic is has to be before sunrise all right i have an admittedly insane idea but if i don't ask you this it's just gonna haunt me the rest of my life i have no idea what your situation is but i feel like we have some kind of uh, connection right yeah me too great so listen here's the deal this is what we should do you should get off the train with me here in vienna and come check out the town we just got into vienna today and we're looking for something fun to do Spreckensy english yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I met a guy in the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. And the reason I'm picking that, so it came out, well, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this knows what um, Before Sunrise is. It came out in 1995. I bet I know what scene you're going to go with as well, but keep going. Yeah, I, well, I surprised. I didn't go with the one that uh, I thought it was going away, going to go with. Um, it came out in 1995, uh, directed by Richard Linklater and written by, co-written by, oh God, the lady Kim... Ethan Hawke and Julie Depp. Well, Delby. they didn't get credited in the first one. It was Kim Krizan and Richard Linklater were the credited writers. But they t- Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy kind of should have been credited in the first feature as well. And I think they were const- all four of them were credited in the, the following two films. Um, because it's so improvised, uh, a lot of the... Not, yeah, it was improvised and rehearsed and whatnot. But it's basically about these two kids 
And Ethan Hawke has got one of those Europass. He's an American student. He's got a Europass uh, ticket and he's on a train across Europe. And he bumps into Julie Delpy on the train and says, you know, they have this strike up a immediately an engaged conversation. There obviously is a, co- a connection between the two of them. And he says to her, listen, I'm getting off. I'm getting a flight here in Vienna in the morning. Why don't you just get off with me? And uh, she goes, yeah, why not? And so the whole film is just about them getting to know each other and kind of dueling with each other. That's a good way to put it. And I think it's a doomed relationship from watching that, you know, watching these characters interacting now because they are kind of in conflict at times. They are kind of like, you know, challenging each other constantly. But what I loved about it was that when they first meet on the train, they're both young, they're young intellectuals and they're trying to kind of like figure out their philosophies in the world. And he's reading about a book about uh, Klaus Kinsey and she's reading a book, a book about death. I don't know, can't remember the title. But they immediately engage in this kind of like deep philosophical conversation. And honestly, on my rewatching of it this weekend, my eyes kind of rolled a little bit listening to him because I kind of went, oh, this is such a young person's conversation. You know, that, you know, you're, you're trying, to, you're trying to, I know what they're doing. You're trying to, you know, establish your own philosophies in the world. But what I found really interesting about the film is that as the film starts in daytime, but as it transitions into nighttime, those conversations stay the same. But all of a sudden, it felt more, I felt more ex- accepting of them because, those conversations seem to happen at nighttime and it felt in the right place yeah. in the right context and the witching hour the witching conversations hour, it really was and all of a sudden when those characters were having those conversations in the dead of night and there's mysterious kind of characters like a you know a palm reader was coming up to him and kind of reading their palm all of a sudden they kind of went no this feels natural and feels right for this place in the story i think i'm afraid of death 24 hours a day i swear i mean that's why I'm in a train right now. I could have flown to Paris, but I'm too scared. Oh, come. I can't help it. I can't help it. I know the statistics say, na na na, it's safer, whatever. <laughs> when I'm in a plane, I can see it. I can see the explosion. I can see me falling through the clouds. And I'm so scared of this few seconds of consciousness before you're going to die. You know, when you know for sure you're going to die. The scene I'm going for, right, is not at night. But in the morning time, right? And it's the first time we see the, the film basically doesn't feature either of the characters. And it is the moment where we, the characters have left the, the story. And it's the very end of the film. And we, the, the camera shows us the locations where they've been. It, you know, and the camera's in the exact same spot. Only now it's daytime. And you see real life kind of coming in. This people cleaning the streets. And you see an old lady walking by the grass and their, their wine bottle is where it was. And I just felt it was so... It captured the magic of a one night in a city. That feeling you get one night in the city where it's so transient and it's so uh, fleeting. And in the morning, it'll be everything will be swept up and real life will resume. And there's a moment before, we, before they leave where, he's, where they, the daytime is kicked in and they're talking to each other and he says... What do you think is the first thing you're going to do when you get back to Paris? Call my parents. Mm-hmm. What about you? I don't know. I'll probably go... Pick up my dog, staying with a friend of mine. You have a dog? Yeah. I love dogs. You do? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. What? Oh, I don't know. We're back in real time. I know, I hate that. What is that? Sounds like a harpsichord. Check that out. And they both acknowledge we've left the magic space. Yeah. We've left that time. We've left the big night. And it's uh, and I love that moment. I just thought it was such a beautiful, a bittersweet moment to end this film, which is a really beautiful and gorgeous film. So that's my pick. That's a great pick. It, Yeah, it's a 
for me, you know, I used to, to be a backpacker and traveling and stuff. Some of the most beautiful places I've been to were actually some of the dullest because the people I was with weren't um, the one that was bringing the, the sort of the, the, the color to those moments. And then, you know, moments where you're, you're stuck in an airport in the middle of a downpour and it's four in the morning and it's some of the most fun you've ever had in your life because of the people that you're with. So I said earlier on that there are, you know, these films tend to almost be like travelogues for different cities. And a lot of cities have sort of hosted uh, these um, descents into madness. And I made a list and I was going to sort of mention a few of them here and see if they'd spark any um, thoughts within you. But you've got like, you've, we've mentioned Collateral. Mm-hmm. And that took place in Los Angeles. Uh, you've also got License to Drive, which I just watched for this episode. And um, it takes a while to get into the whole madness of of Corey Haim and Heather Graham sort of uh, dossing around LA in, their, in his dad's stolen car. But once it does, it's a class cracker of, a, of an 80s comedy. It's like a sign. A sign from the big Mr. Goodwrench in the sky. Will Les get the car home in one piece? Will his father leave less in one piece? You are damn lucky your mother didn't go into labor time. No, I am in labor. What? License to drive. Does it have a happy ending? <laughs> really? Yeah, it's great fun. I, I don't think I've ever seen it's it. It's really good. It takes, as I say, 45 minutes to get into it. But it's um, it's got that sort of weird science vibe. It's the same sort of wackiness. Um, and it's a bit like Adventures right. in Babysitting, which takes place in Chicago. Yeah, I watched that recently. Which is another one that... I really like that film. I think it's good. Yeah. I th- Is it Chris Columbus's first movie? I think it is. I don't know if it's his first. It's I'd an like- interesting film. It, it hasn't aged brilliantly. There's things about it that I think... Are- in what respect? Well, it's part of that sort of... 80s safe in the suburbs the city is terrifying <laughs> you know uh, and it's yeah. and uh, like you know so they go into the city and uh and it's just full of crime and poverty and homelessness and just and they just have to eventually get back to the safety of their big suburban houses you know but then chicago in the 80s i imagine it was uh there was some dodgy Streets you could go down there because they've got like a massive murder rate. <laughs> yeah. Come to Chicago, the windy city. <laughs> <laughs> that was an iconic one from my childhood uh, adventure because I think it you know, was one of those few films I could rent. So I saw that loads when I was a kid and really enjoyed it. I was think I was going to show it to my kids recently and I started it and I just went, nah, might be a bit too young yet because there's playboys involved. I think even in the first couple of scenes there's playboy and i went ah you know what i'll give my wait till my kids you know nine before i show them a film featuring playboy <laughs> give them a little bit of time before that comes meet chris park getting ready for the greatest night of her life hi i gotta cancel now she's stuck babysitting the anderson kids sarah mom got chris to babysit for me Chris? Her brother Brad and his best friend, yeah. Who is this kid? Stray dog. Take good care of my baby. I'll guard her with my life. What could possibly go wrong? 
Chris, I'm in trouble. Hang up and sit down. I'll be there in half an hour. You've also got Judgment Night, which takes place in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The Stephen oh, Hopkins film. Is that the one with... Is that Emilio yeah. Estevez? Is that Emilio that Estevez, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, oh Stephen Dorff yeah. and a really, really obnoxious and irritating Jeremy Piven. The weird thing, Jeremy Piven has got young, seems to have got younger. He's, he's, he's Benjamin Button. Well, that's his hair transplant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that obviously, like most famously, had the most incredible soundtrack. I don't know if you remember that soundtrack. It does have a cracking soundtrack, um, but it's, um, oh my God, that's one of those films where, well, first of all, I, I love that, that kind of muscular action film. But they do a thing which a lot of bad horror movies do, which is you put a group of characters in a stressful situation and they all turn on each other immediately and they just don't let up. They just keep screaming, arguing. And that is how conflict is put across. And it's just... I just end up like watching those films and just thinking, would you guys shut the fuck up and just communicate? Stop fucking going to level 10 on everything. It's Yeah, it's, uh, that's another... It's a uh, very screamy film. Yeah, and t- Chicago being terrifying. It, I mean, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? It's just... For- <laughs> Not really when it's Dennis Leary is the bad <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah, who like- keeps doing monologues, if I remember. <laughs> he does. He keeps doing stand-up yeah. sets, and you just think, like, ah, oh, it's not too bad. Don't move. Don't whisper. Don't even breathe. Well, Frank, is this your wife, huh? I get a wife and a little girl, and I will get back to them tonight. Let's show these punks what we got. You better believe it. You're just another victim. You're just another victim, kid. Hey! You're just another victim. There's one I watched as well recently that um, not many people have seen, but it's uh, it's set in Atlantic City, and it's called Run, and it's got Kelly Preston and Patrick Dempsey. Ooh, and it's uh, I don't think I've seen this. Patrick Dempsey has to. Um, oh God! I watched it a week ago and I've already forgot what it was. He has to take a car <laughs> to Atlantic City, and he ends up getting as so many of these guys do. They, he ends up crossing the mob. He kills. He gets into a bar fight and he accidentally kills one of the main gangsters' sons, and that guy has to run out of the city with a cops in his pocket and everything, and they all start hunting him down. And it's a. Uh, it's got a budget and it's a class film, but no one has heard of it or no one's seen it. But it's all on YouTube. You can watch it right now. You know, pirate it right now. Charlie Farrow is a college kid just visiting Sawtucket. You a gambler, man? Life is a gamble, man. He thought it was his lucky day. All right. But now he's winning big from the wrong guy. Matt Halloran's son. You better get out of here while you still got the chance. Then it can get real crazy. <laughs> I think he's dead. I never touched him. Well, why isn't anybody doing anything? Look, now there are witnesses. Call the police! Better run, Charlie. But what Adam was saying earlier on, because of films, I just assume if I go out after a certain hour in a big city, I'm just going to end up running into the mob or being so or sold into uh, you know as a hum- human trafficked. Well, air from Cork. <laughs> uh, another good yeah. one, Kevin, to mention is Good Time. More recent, the Safdie Brothers. Good Time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to get to that. God, that's a that's an incredible film. And again, like Uncut Gems, just so intense. Yeah. And when I was thinking about what scene, I didn't go for this scene, but it was very tempting, was when they go to the fairground and they've got that 
litre bottle of acid. <laughs> Do you remember that? That, bo- that plastic bottle of acid, yeah. which if you've ever done acid, is the most terrifying sight. You know, the thought of this this bottle of acid and then they pour it you know, in the security guard's mouth and it's just absolutely horrendous. Is that fairground? It's not open, is it? It's Coney Island, isn't it? It's closed in the movie. I'm trying. Yeah, to it's closed. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like two in the morning or yeah. something, and and the security guards yeah. hunting them down. What I noticed about Good Time, and it, uh, apparently a lot of films have done it, but when I was watching, it, I thought, wait, what? Is uh, the opening credits start about twenty two minutes into the film? No way. Yeah. So it just keeps Jeez, going and going and going and going, and then the opening credits happen. It's got a really long pre-title sequence it grabs you from the yeah. from the get-go and you're invested in these characters even though they're they're essentially low lives you know they're you know they're but you really are engaged and invested in like you know their story and you kind of want them to survive and am i right in saying that one of the safety brothers plays he plays the brother yeah does. amazing performance yeah 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 so i told you about my brother yeah something happened I don't know exactly what. He's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. Love. Oh my God, that's awful. Make me queen. Just gotta get him out of there before something bad happens. He could get killed in there. The pure zen from love. Damned only zen. You need another ten grand. You get another ten grand, your brother will get out. The truth is an act of love. Something very important is happening, and it's deeply connected to my purpose. Every day, and Robert Pattinson's fantastic in it, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're they're really, really, really strong filmmakers. And um, I haven't seen Uncut Gems. I love Uncut. It's one of the, one of the last films I saw at the cinema before COVID hit, and uh, uh, a couple of people walked out because it was there was a couple of old yeah. people because it's such an intense experience. It's not pleasurable it's amazing i think it's an absolute oh. masterpiece but it's it's a it's a, you know heart palpitations kind of they mm. might have gone in looking for the latest <laughs> yeah, Adam yeah, Sandler exactly. rump. can i i have a theory on this and mine is that it's not stressful it's unpleasant so i found the soundtrack really irritating and obnoxious so um i'm one of the few people that really just didn't get into that film as much as everyone else i i just wanted them to turn down that fucking music this discordant weird uh distorted electronic score and um everybody else loved it but i was like this is so ah it's not my speed yeah how's it going all right larry you're a jew again welcome back made a crazy risk to gamble and it's about to pay off so I want the Celtics to cover I want the Celtics halftime I want Garnett points and rebounds what do you know I don't know I just know well I'll tell you what I know it's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of I disagree I disagree, Gary. I want to ask Adam uh, a question. You were talking about earlier on about how it, it feels like you can kind of compare these to road movies. And like in road movies, these night movies, are the, the locations are so important for, for these stories. So for 
Adam, for you, when you were thinking about um, uh, night teeth, obviously there were locations were in the script, but was that a you know how much did you how much effort went into actually you know considering locations because they are quite distinct in night teeth. You sure, know, you, they yeah. really do. There's particularly the the one with all those flowers. The oh yeah, or, yeah, red spots. Um, that was amazing. I love that. That was interesting. Just a little thing on that is that we. We ordered, I went to this light show and saw these flowers and just thought this would be amazing for someone because it's sort of tacky uh, and expensive, you know, which is sort of perfect uh, dissemination really that, you know, a lot of money and not that much taste to have, you you know, a whole field of plastic flowers. So I thought it'd be really fun. And then that was the first time I heard about COVID because we ordered them from China and they wouldn't arrive. And we were like this bloody COVID, (laughs) you know, what a pain in the ass. Little did we know, but the the locations were... hugely important one of the most important things about the film i think because it's like a tour of la and there were a number of them in the script but actually changed some of them so it felt a little bit more like a road trip like we never went to venice initially in the script and you know i just wanted to explore each area i'd been in la for for a little while and i'd been looking around all the neighborhoods when i was looking where to live so i'd sort of done this tour and each neighborhood in la is like a little town you know it's 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 very different, you know, to, yeah. to most cities in that it's, it's like a, a number of small towns, each with their own personalities. And so I really wanted to, to capture that. And, and so I, I got the script of Night Teeth and I was so excited to make this film in L.A. And then actually we ended up shooting 75 percent of it in New Orleans. No way. Um, New Orleans. Yeah, as you do in, in, in these movies. So that, that specific. Oh, my God. So that specific moment that you're talking about with the with the red flowers, that's a house in New Orleans, not Bel Air. But you know what I loved about that moment? What I loved about that moment was like, how else can a, a vampire appreciate a garden? Unless right. it was illuminated. Oh, that's a good point. So yeah, and I went. I, that's what blew me away. I just went. I've never. It's a stunning visual. It's a really stunning, and this road that winds up to it, and it's really stunning. And I just went. Oh, it really struck me, and it was. Uh, I yeah, it was and it's a, it's a crazy house that one. I mean, you know, it's got the ten- tennis courts and the swimming pool, yeah. but then actually, what you don't see is that it backs onto a, a massive lake, which has got you know alligators <laughs> because we're in we're actually in Louisiana, but you don't see oh. it, which is one of the benefits of shooting at night. Oh, wow. What was it like shooting? Well, the film is almost exclusively set at night so what was it like shooting night shoots for week after week after week? I, I like night shoots i like night shoots for the reason that we've been talking about of the madness of of the kind of city at night and i think it's it's just you and and the crew and the cast in your little bubble you know and and everyone else is asleep and there's a sort of there's just a, a, a strange vibe to it in that you're just you're up when everybody else isn't and you're making something and I mean, I've always been absolutely awful in the mornings anyway, so I'd much rather be working till five in the morning than getting up at five in the morning. I don't think I've ever met anybody like you. What? What is wrong with you? You can't be alive for 200 years and not go a little crazy. So my pick, as I said, I was trying to sort of like wrap my head around it. And um, and the weird thing about this genre is that it's sort of the totality of the experience. It is that sort of road trip thing. And the scenes are usually built around some sort of frustration or some sort of obstacle. So you don't really get that cathartic sort of 
you know, punchy moment where it's like, that's a great scene. It's usually a stepping stone onto the next scene. And for that reason, it's sort of difficult to sort of pick out one moment. But um, I went with After Hours. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. <laughs> so when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. Gigi! So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. Good boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on. But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? Because I think it is the best of that whole genre. And there are so many that came after it. Even though John Landis did his own version of After Hours on the same uh, the same year in 1985 into the night I don't know if either of you have seen that it's with Jeff Goldblum no. and Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, yeah they're you know knocking about Los Angeles and he's sort of um, I think he's an engineer he's a, a uh, an insomniac engineer and he crosses paths with Michelle Pfeiffer and it's interesting to compare the two because one is sort of a knockabout uh, farcical screwball comedy and the other one is quite subtextual and there's there's really interesting themes going on in Scorsese's After Hours where it is his, well, I suppose because he references it so much in a movie, I think people are able to draw that comparison, but it is almost his take on Wizard of Oz. Ah, yeah, okay. There's so many references to the film and then when you look at it and you realise that all the women, a lot of the women characters are wearing yellow and there's all these Mm. sort of like um, hallmarks of... Uh, the Wizard of Oz where him in the taxi he's being you know knocked about like he's in a tornado and mm-hmm. he loses his money he flies out the window and uh, yeah when you read it from that perspective it's an interesting sort of like um, companion film to it but there's also what I think sort of uh, the story of a guy who's in a humdrum nine to five job and he goes out into the world and he realises the value of of living a more unconventional life and uh, realising how much money, I suppose, is the cause of all his problems and how uh, there are some people who are just not living in the same world that he is where art is more important. And you've got a guy that's like... There's a moment in in the beginning where he's talking to Bronzo Pinchot and he's sort of like obsessively looking at these stacks of of notepaper and... um, Bronson Pinchot is sort of saying he hates this job that he's just taking on where he's, Griffin Dunn is training him up. Good. Yeah, you got it. Another week, you have it down. It's temporary anyway. Hmm? I said it's temporary anyway. I do not intend to be stuck doing this for the rest of my life. Don't tell Mr. Dittman that I said that, please. Okay. Because what I really want to do is, uh, I really like to get into publishing. You know, there just aren't any openings right now, but what I would love to do is just create a magazine my own magazine, um, which would be like a forum for writers and intellectuals who can't get into print anywhere else. And he's, they have this cutaway where he's just looking at all these stacks of paper and he's sort of like, um, 
reassessing his life. And then he meets all these characters who are using paper, paper mache, in uh, artistic ways. And when you sort of watch how the film plays out and how he ends up back at the office at the, the start of the movie where he's encased in paper mache, um, it, it, it's it's interesting to me, I think. There's more going on. But the scene that I really like in that film, and uh, it's a very brief one, but it's when he, uh, he gets caught in the downpour and he goes to the, the subway and he tries to get on the train. And the subway, um, what would you call him? The ticket toll guy won't let him on because he's short about 50 cent and uh he's like who will know and the guy is like really coming down huh oh well you bet there you go fair is a dollar and a half what fair went up to a dollar and a half as of midnight you're kidding i've got 97 cents no it's raining like mad out there no would you just give me a break i really just want to go home i'm sorry i can't do that i could lose my job who would know exactly? I could go to a party, get drunk, talk to someone. Who knows? Would you just give me a goddamn token? No, goddammit, I cannot give you a token. Those tokens are a dollar and a half. I can't sell for 97 cents. We lose money that way. All right, there's a train. There's a train. Come on, give me a token. Come on. It's just one of those small moments where it's <laughs> funny, it's frustrating, and... Um, you just you can relate to it so much of just being caught in one of those predicaments. So I went with Afterwards. You know what I love about that? I, first of all, I, I, it's probably my favourite of all of these films. Afterwards, I, oh, I absolutely love it. That particular scene when he realises he can't get the ticket and then he jumps over and there's that cop, you know, with this big massive yeah. moustache, this huge built wrestler type cop. That's brilliant. It's such a cool ending to that scene. Uh, I'm glad I didn't pick Afterwards because I was going to. Uh, and it was almost like what scene do you pick from it? Because there's just, it's just so, yeah. as you say, it's almost the combination of all of these different sequences. All these great female characters as well that he keeps yeah. jumping into. It's like Catherine O'Hara and Terry Garr and Rosanna Arquette and Linda, how do you say her name? Linda Florentino? Fiorentino? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. That was almost my pick as well, Kevin. It was so, I it's was so good. It is so good because I watched some um, do- making of documentaries for it. And, you know, and Scorsese himself was talking about how, you know, he was definitely referencing a lot of Greek stories and going going down the river sticks with the ferryman and, you know, that sense of being out of control because he came from a place where his career yeah. was spiraling. Last Temptation of Christ, wasn't it? He- yeah, that he was trying to get that going in the early 80s and that fell through at the last minute. And he really didn't know if he had a career in Hollywood anymore. And it came from that sense of frustration, that sense of feeling out of control. And this film was born. And I think that, that vibe, that, that sort of headspace that he's in plays into the film where it's, you know, Definitely. just hitting roadblock after roadblock and all these batshit oddball characters where in America, if you don't have money and you're reliant on the kindness of strangers, you're going to meet some weird characters because that's not how that country is set up to uh, to uh, run. There's also there's a, a joy in the film that you can sense through Scorsese, the joy of just making a film of it. I imagine, yeah, I imagine it's sort of lower budget, it's more contained, you know, it's like he's done his kind of Oscar, he's done Raging Bull, he's you know, a taxi driver, and then it's just he lets loose. And you realise that how, I mean, he's just such a masterful filmmaker, but how masterful he would be in almost any genre. 
you know, and that if he wasn't the mm. Oscar-winning, you know, genius that he is, he could be making t- sort of incredible genre films like After Us. And I guess he's done that more in his sort of later career. Yeah. But the camera was the very first camera move when we just meet them in the office. I mean, who would think to start a film oh, it's great. with that shot? You know, yeah. you just start, most people would start, a sh- you'd have a wide wow. shot. I mean, he has the camera speeding across the whole office to find our protagonist. And he just has so much fun. You assume that had to have been a... That had to have been a steady cam. That has to have been a steady cam. Yeah, yeah. It must have been. It's like, yeah, but it's like the steady camera operator is is Usain Bolt, and <laughs> yeah. he's like sprinting around the stuff because it's moving so fast and it's such a kinetic energy. It's fantastic. They also they were making it really quick and dirty, but they also had like technical problems that they had to sort of figure out, and the ingenuity of the time where if they were doing it now it would be CG. But it's like when Linda Fiorentino throws the keys out the window, and there's a point of view shot of the keys falling towards yeah. Griffin Dunn. <laughs> And yeah, they right. were practicing, or they were attempting to do that by sticking the camera onto a plank of wood and dropping the wood on a on a rope <laughs> towards Griffin Dunn's face, and it it kept oh my moving out of focus. So, <laughs> but they ended up with a, a a crane in the end. But um, yeah, he just wanted to vent and get that out of his system, and it was a quick and dirty film. But it's it's so uh, beautiful to look at, and I love the music as well. Yeah. I wasn't very happy living down in Tribeca. I had moved there thinking that that's where I belonged, in a way, because I came from downtown. But it's a very different downtown. It's Bohemian. I was not from a Bohemian area. I was more of a... Uh, it was an Italian-American area. It was very, very different. And um, I wasn't very happy. And so this film comes out of that. It comes out of a feeling of being stuck in the underworld and never being able to get out. Maybe never being able to get to make another big film, in a sense. Or does one just continue? There's no such thing as a big film. It's just a film. And whether it's uh, 20 million, 100 million, uh, 5 million, 100,000. It's still got to sell emotions, got to sell ideas. So think about how you could sustain yourself uh, creatively. And uh, where's your stamina, too? I just turned 40. So my stamina had to be there from the 20, uh, 15 or 20 years earlier. And so the, the, the film was designed completely while I was in my loft for about one week when I was, I had bad cough and Aida was on and I was listening to it. And I would just design these shots, the storyboards, all of that sort of thing. And I tried a different form, which was actually notating it on the sides and the margins of the script in smaller drawings and notes and breaking it all down, but very, very, very um, precisely. Always with the feel of a um, satiric edge of a Hitchcock or a a Lang movie where, where uh, the characters are always doomed by fate. So, Adam, yeah. what was your pick then? Well, luckily yeah. it wasn't After Hours. Uh, so so I went for... Because you would have ended up copying yeah, me. Uh, and it was actually that scene was the one I was really thinking about because it's such a small scene. Wow. <gasps> but So I chose Warriors because it's masterful. Hey. <laughs> cool. These are the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Furies. The Boppers. And these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now... They're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety, 
stand 20,000 cops and 100,000 sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the warriors. Um, and I, I watched it before shooting Night Teeth um, and was surprised at how, I mean, it just, it, the look and feel of it, you know, it could, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. absolutely gorgeous. The techniques used are the same. I mean, that whole kind of, you know, the streets just glistening, you know, everything wet down, the neon light reflecting, the way that it's I edited, that. the music, it just, it's so, it feels so modern. I mean, obviously there's elements of it that feel very much of its time. And one thing I really do question about it, that I would really like to know is, is the gangs in it. Were they genuinely intimidating <laughs> to people in the late seventies or was it also sort of slightly comical? Um, because you look at them now, like the scene I'm going to pick just to give it away is the scene with the orphans. Um, you know, and there's no way if you're walking down the street and you saw the orphans, you'd be like, Oh shit, I better turn the other way. You'd just be like, what is, <laughs> you know, uh, but I wonder if at the time did, yeah. was that capturing something or was that always the case? Uh, I guess it's it's the it's the amount of them. Also, such grubby, dirty locations where you would just feel unsafe, just in general. Who directed? So it was Walter Hill directed. Walter Hill directed was Rodan directed. Uh, yeah, and he um, Streets of Fire. I think was that directly after Warriors. Podbot. When was that? So Walter Hill directed the Warriors in 1979, followed by the Long Riders in '80, Southern Comfort in '81. 48 Hours in 82, and Streets of Fire in 84. That's some run of films, lads. Oh, right, right, right. Thanks, Bob. So, so those two films, I think, you know, work so well together because they've both got this kind of, they're slightly uh, dystopian, but also very sort of realist versions of, uh, you know, I mean, Warriors is New York. I can't quite remember what Streets of Fire. But that sort of neon lit, you know, uh, grimy but also sort of somehow weirdly appealing vision of the city at night and i think what you were talking about earlier of yeah. you know, getting lost in the city i think warriors captures so well the city that you don't see you know you you go to work you go to bars you go to restaurants but there's this other element of the city that's you know in cinema is where you know it's crime ridden <laughs> it's, it's where you know um yeah so i mean warriors i think i mean it's an incredible set up it's just, it's such a great idea of uh, all these gangs going to come together you know and then the guy who's doing the speech and trying to bring it all together is uh assassinated and then this group uh this gang called the warriors are blamed and every gang in the city is then set upon them and they've got to get home i mean it's so simple uh, and it's yeah. uh it's such a great setup and it's so incredibly intense from the get-go and there's just one sort of relentless yeah. chase sequence after the other and there's this amazing moment just before the the orphan scene where they're hiding and they're trying to get to the subway and there's this bus driving up and down full of really angry gang members searching for them and you have no idea which is also something that a lot of these films do you have no idea how they're going to get out of this situation you know how they're going to get from from mm -hmm. a to b so you have these sort of relentless chase sequences and action sequences and then it calms for a moment and they arrive in this really quiet neighborhood um, and they're walking through and it's the last time that the full gang is together. So they're going to this very, very quiet neighborhood and then you look up and on top of the buildings are gang members looking down to them and you're just straight into a Western. We've had it. Yeah, I made them. Two there and one there. I think they just made us. 
You recognize them? Orphans. So far down, they ain't even on the map. Real low class. Numbers. Full strength, maybe 30. 30's a lot more than eight. Not if they're wimps. And I'm sick of this running crap. And you've got this group yeah. waiting for them called the Orphans. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, they're sort of, the thing with the Warriors is because of the costumes, because of how sort of overly stylized it is, it's not a, it's not scary in the way that perhaps it might have been, yeah. or if it was more... Re- it feels like a comic yeah, book. Yeah, it does. Well, I suppose they've got those comic book interstitials in there, but it, it aside from that, if it has that sort of pop... It, it, it definitely does. And I, they did the director's cut where they did that even more, and they had all the transitions from the kind of animated imagery. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So they go and approach this this group called the Orphans, um, and they have to negotiate just being able to walk to the subway through their neighbourhood. And, you know, they have this great conversation and it seems that they've got away with it. And then you just hear someone doing a chicken sound. There's nothing wrong with you making it through our territory as long as you're coming in peace. Uh, and you just know, oh shit, it's like someone throwing a grenade in. And you look around and it's Diane Lane. Oh, and God. she just throws everything, you know. Are you just going to let an army walk through here anytime they feel like it? How's it gonna look? Get lost. And pretty soon every gang's just gonna boogie right in. Soldier right through. I'll tell you. What a man you are. And you just know that she's just demasculated these men immediately. You know, who are all it's all yeah. posturing, it's all yeah. like, look how tough we are, and it's a very male film. And then she just comes and she just chucks this grenade yeah. in the middle of it and just ruins it. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got your you're watching between your fingers because you just know that everything's gone horribly wrong. And so now they have to front up to each other and the warriors can't back down. You know, they have to take their shirts off, you know, their vests off in order to get to the subway and they refuse. Uh, <laughs> and the orphans now can't refuse because they've been called out. So you've got these guys who are just having yeah. to kind of carry on being macho because they don't want to be embarrassed in front of the uh, of the girl. Yeah, and she loves it. She's playing with that. Yeah. So then they walk back and, and they're nearly at the tube and then they get surrounded at the subway, not the tube. And then they light this Molotov cocktail. And you think that he's going to throw this Molotov cocktail at the gang. But he throws it at the car. You see what you get, warriors? You see what you get when you mess with the orphans? And, yeah. uh, and it's one of those moments where every, they all start to sort of run off, and you, you know, and then the car explodes and they manage to, to, to run for the subway. But it's just this incredible, and apart from the end, much quieter moment in the film that I just thought watching it again worked so well and captured the kind of essence of the city in such an interesting way. It's a chase movie. I, I think I remember reading in it that they actually did hire a gang of kids to protect their trucks and stuff like right. that when they were shooting. So they actually had a gang, a real-life gang. That was to stop them, them from, from robbing them. <laughs> well, yeah, so the kids will pay us and we won't rob <laughs> right. them. That was basically it. And having the uh, the deep radio DJ narrating it, it's like there's these little strokes of absolute genius, you know, uh, and it's so iconic. It's so People who haven't even seen the film, there's just so many elements from it that you, you'd recognise. But you, but that's, it's, as you, said, you were describing it there, it's like, yeah, there's, 
there's like a, a western vibe going on here but there's also a comic book element vibe but it feels real but it feels real it yeah. feels totally totally real and the stakes are high and you're on edge but it's gripping from the from the from the get go warriors come out to play warriors come out to can I can I mention another one? But it's it's not my pick, and uh, it's not my pick because it's more of a two hander, and it's less of uh, it's less exploring the city. It's not much of a of a travel log. Um, but it's uh, Mikey and Nikki from Elaine May. Uh, Pierce mentioned that last week, and I just watched it recently. Peter Falk is Mikey. I got a terrific suggestion for you, Nick. I suggest you find somebody you can trust. John Cassavetes is Nikki. They're gonna kill me, Nick. They're gonna kill me. Mikey and Nikki. You are not gonna die. On a night like this, there is no choice. It's uh, Peter Falk and John Cassavetes, and it's um, it's a fantastic film, sort of a one night with two. Um, mob guys are having a really really bad night and um this if i was to pick a scene from that it would be where the two guys end up coming uh to not to well yeah to blows they come to blows and uh it begins with yeah um john cassavetti's breaking peter fox watch and it's just great to watch two guys have this really frustrating sort of argument with their pals but they're also they know how to piss each other off and I'm sure you've all had those friends where it's like, well, you guys, you've got a brother, I suppose. Well, I imagine that I don't have a brother, so I imagine that it would be similar in that you just know how to to wind each other up, and sometimes that's that's sort of the relationship you have, but you still like each other. And Lene May captures that so beautifully in that film that that frustrating sort of push and pull relationship that some guys guys will have crazy i call you and you never call me back you don't call me you haven't called me in months because after three months you don't call me back i don't call anymore you don't even say hello to me i walk into that restaurant and you're sitting there with dave resnick and sit fine and i gotta say hello to you three times because i'm too embarrassed to walk away without an answer and when i walk away i hear you say jesus christ Call that guy back. I forgot to give him the order. That was a joke. That joke was for Resnick. For you. Not for Resnick. That's why I said it loud enough for you to hear it. That was, that was a joke for you. Yeah, man. Oh, great Well, pick. before great, great we pick. let you go, Adam, can I tell you what my best bit of your film is? Yes. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> this sounds like I'm setting you up, <laughs> setting you up for a joke. No, it's actually the 7-Eleven scene. I think that's a cracking moment. And, uh... Ah, yeah it's got tension so cool. it's got yeah flirtation it's got uh jokes and um it's just a a great moment in a really really fun film and as we say it's out right now you can go watch it on netflix mm. and uh here's a trailer hey driver yes ma'am let's play a game what would you do if you knew tonight was your last night on earth wow i'm a pretty chill guy I just live with my brother. I go to school. Come on, driver. Last night on Earth, drugs, women, men, old enemies. You're just waiting to pop. I'd definitely kill you. Finally. 
Finally, he bites back. We're hitting every single one of these parties tonight, and we need to get to the last stop by morning. Wow, Kevin. Wow, Adam. That we really covered one night in the big city. Um, but I think you know, actually, when we discussed all that, I'm delighted with the. I think you know, three great films that kind of captured that um that topic quite well. Um. But we have to get on to the kind of the closing business of the show, which is we need to figure out what in the hell we're going to do next week. And because next week is going to come right before uh, Halloween, I have sort of parsed, I've sort of pared the wheel down into just genre and horror topics so we can get one that will sort of fit in nicely for Halloween. And uh, Adam, I've sent you the app. So if you could do us the honours of spinning it. Okay, we'll do. I'm doing next week. Here we go. Okay, spinning. Here we go. Here we go. Spinning. Yeah, and usually people we send people a physical wheel. So this week we're just sending you the you know the electronic app. It's just shipping and delivery was just too expensive. Yeah, Tom. Tom Moore held on to it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. Okay, so it is best jump scare. Ooh, very good. Okay, good. That'll work. That's a quite a broad one because there's so many jump scares in. Uh, in are there any jump scares in Night Teeth? I need to watch the film. I've not seen it to be honest. I with you. Don't, oh yeah, you know what? There's one, <laughs> and there's definitely one with the with the uh, hopefully it's a jump scare with the window smash right near the beginning. Uh, I don't want to say oh, yes. Yeah, it yeah, won't yeah, be a yeah, jump yeah. scare if I explain it. But yeah, you know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a genuine jump scare. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah. Okay. That can be Which, your best. Uh, that, there you go. Say. There's your best jump scare. That's it. It's <laughs> done, and we'll be back <laughs> in two weeks <laughs> with Adam. <laughs> oh, we good. Adam. Seriously, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I I really do recommend Night Teeth. It is a good fun time. It's not too scary. It was like you know, think of uh, yeah. It's just a great one night in the big city with vampires. And, and I uh, think the cast, the the three leads of the film are um, going to have quite substantial careers. So um, get in there early and have a look. But listen, Adam, thanks a million, man. Thank you. Uh, we know you're absolutely up the walls promoting the film and uh, so busy. So thanks for making time for us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And wait, before we let you go, where can people find you, Adam? <laughs> for a moment, I was like, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. You can find me in, yeah, North, means- in North London, just sort of walking around often on the phone. Uh- <laughs> this is what happens when people don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, three, no, it's more that I'm really bad at the, <laughs> at the self-promotion so- social media thing. I'm on Instagram um, and Twitter. Not that I do much on Twitter or Instagram, frankly, but I'm on there. So look me up. Uh, it's at Ad Randall. Am I right? Yes. And you can also find us on Twitter <laughs> at Best Bits Pod. And we'll be back next week. And please remember to give us a like and uh, on or give us five stars on Apple or <laughs> iTunes and all that sort of stuff. And if you give us a review, then all the better because that that's what helps you know push us up the algorithm and or convince or tricks the algorithm to push us up the charts. Boom boom! Back next week. The best bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, 
all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode. Of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bits podcast with Will and Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corn sorted out. I went to the Chiroptist the other day and uh, she Your said... corn? Uh, my corns. Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do, um, you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk no, barefoot? I, I, I wear... No, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of yeah. this last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. <laughs> Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode and then every so often it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode and yeah. I'm like what did we how did we say it what did we say on that episode that's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes maybe it didn't sound as desperate maybe we said don't jo-. maybe reverse psychology that's how we should do it reverse psychology don't join up to our patron don't it's <laughs> You don't des- Everybody cancel. You, you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We don't. We don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people we we did? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I? How do you think I did? I, I I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once, so I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across. But you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, yeah. months before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They're they were profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah. But we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're, 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 you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Goes I, my Prince Albert. Uh, <laughs> your hat? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I Speaking want one of, of the, which, I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glint. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, 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 did, what did you want to speak of, which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after. Yeah. We, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. We already okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. It doesn't really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So, um, I'm well, the Joker 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes. I watched that. Mm hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah. It's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey. Listen, uh, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be... Just to fill me in like on the lore. <laughs> get up to just, speed. Get you right up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be there going, where... Where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where when are they going to show up? And like it's you know, a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which is in its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like it's this, just everywhere. what well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world, has very much entered the the film world. Is where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors, and there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh, it's this is the insane. thing, Kevin. So <laughs> I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod on a podcast. What was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, I you, think. S- you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. I- and have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to rise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people on Discord are trying to every- rise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting now, like um, tweets, comments, TikToks, uh, articles, anything. Insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. Okay. I was like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's everywhere. And the other thing, do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. It would just, they're morons. But no, I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word. A-L-O-T. A yeah. lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word it's the same way that people will write every time as one word what's the one that you've you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right compliment compliment I can't <laughs> but I can't get it right 
It's like the you eye. Because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you ah, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I would found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. (laughs) Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I have the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Oh, here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right.